it seems to me that we can finally say we live in a multicultural society. Would you agree with me? There's cancel culture, right? There's call-out culture. Have you heard of that one? Call-out culture, we're calling people out left and right. We can't forget there's critical culture, right? But here's one of the ones, my favorite, I, I came across this. It's something now, a label called cringe culture. Have you heard of cringe culture? Let, let me give you the urban dictionary definition because I don't want to wander into a place where I'm not an expert. Uh, cringe culture defines it as a community of people making fun of others for their interests. Most targeted communities are furries, cosplayers, weebs, emos, and others, and there are many more. I have no idea what a weeb is or an emo. Uh, I know some people do. I'm, I'm pretty sure my daughters in the front row here probably could tell me that I'm probably an eeb or a weemo, but um, <laughs> it was interesting to me. Uh, it seems that the only culture we're kind of not anymore is Christian culture. Doesn't it seem that way? And it's a little bit sad, but, but there's another label I came across the last couple of weeks that uh, was interesting to me, comparison culture. Have you heard of this one? It's a label that strives to capture our apparent obsession with comparing ourselves to others, and it's particularly on social media. Um, I think, uh, I'm, well, it may be a bit, a bit of a foreign concept to those of us who are not so social media savvy. I know that our brothers and sisters in Gen Z out here know exactly what I'm talking about. It's about getting the perfect shot for the Instagram post, the perfect angle that's going to kind of show off your body in just the right way, right? Or, or the perfect filter that's going to cover up that pimple or accentuate the spray-on tan or whatever it's going to be that's going to give you that great image. Um, in all circumstances, it means avoiding the dreaded profile pic. Yeah, you don't want that. Uh, but it's about likes. It's about comparing ourselves to other people. It's about TikTok views or visits to YouTube channels or whatever it is. Whatever that makes us look good relative to others, we, we cling to that. So that is my understanding of the essence of comparison culture. Um, now, boomers and Gen Xers, before we judge, uh, we probably ought to get real, too, because you know we're no better. Uh, comparison culture isn't anything new. It wasn't ushered in by Gen Z. It isn't a product of the social media revolution. We've been comparing ourselves to one another since the dawn of time, and even before the Garden of Eden. This whole thing started when Satan decided to compare himself to God, right? That's how we got into this whole sin mess. So here we are. You know, um, we're constantly, constantly looking at one another and trying to justify ourselves, right? Let's face it. Keeping up with the Kardashians is not all that novel. We've been keeping up with the Joneses forever. Why? Well, are we doing it to justify ourselves? Um, we, are we doing it? In, we find, do you find yourself saying from time to time, yeah, I know I have some issues, uh, but, you know, it could be worse. I could be like that guy. Or, yeah, my kids, my kids are a little bit of a challenge, but, wow, have you seen their kids? Whew, glad I'm not those kids. Wow. Oh, yeah, I know, maybe I drank a little too much the other night, but, God, do you see Joe? Man, he puts it away. I think he's got a problem. Right? See, we're constantly looking at our own performance to define who we are, and as needed, we measure it against others to feel better about ourselves. And while comparing ourselves to others and all the performance that comes along with that might seem harmless, it's actually quite insidious, especially when it comes to our relationship with God and how we view ourselves in light of that 
and all he has done for us. See, in the passage that I want to look at today, we're going we're to find out from Jesus. He's going to show us why this is a problem. He's going to reveal to us the deep danger of looking to ourselves or others as our standard for righteousness. And the passage we're going to look at is Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14, if you want to turn there. And while you're doing that, let's, let's first do the most important thing we can do, which is to go before the Lord in prayer for this time this morning. Father God, we thank you. We thank you for the blessing of your word. We thank you for the blessing of your wisdom. And we thank you for the blessing of your Holy Spirit. Lord, may your spirit be poured into us this morning as we explore your word, Lord. And may you speak to us through these words and not anything else, Lord. Help these words to transform us. Help this wisdom to change our outlook and change who we are, Lord. Be with us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. All right. So, uh, I want to read the the passage in a moment, but before we jump into it, I want to take a note of of the genre Jesus is using here, okay? Because the context of this passage is is a narrative genre, but but the passage itself is a parable. And parables are basically fictional accounts that convey an ultimate or a divine truth. So, there are fictional stories within often a larger non-fictional story. And in this case, the larger story involves a series of encounters Jesus has with different people on his way from Galilee to Jerusalem. In each case, he reveals truth to them, only he uses parables to do it, and it's a powerful mechanism. See, these parables show us truth rather than tell us truth. So in doing so, they can be very convicting. We're drawn in by the story kind of as we follow along, and, and, and we're buying into it, and then there comes this point where we're like, wait a minute, he's talking about me. Ooh. And with that in mind, I want us to step into Luke's account this morning as though Jesus is talking with us. Okay, I want you to put yourself in the story. I don't want this to be an intellectual exercise. I want this to be allowing Jesus to transform our hearts. All right, so let's, let's go ahead and read Luke 18, 9 through 14 uh, together, if you will. And he also told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I pay tithes of all that I get. Uh, But the tax collector, the tax collector standing some distance away was even unwilling to lift his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. Praise God for his word this morning. Now, in relaying Jesus' parable, I want you to notice that Luke begins with this brief introduction. Okay? He says, And he also told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Okay? Now, first, note that Luke doesn't tell us any more than we need to know here. Right? You might wonder, who are these people? Where were they? What time of day was it? Right? Luke, does, Luke doesn't get into those, those details. He doesn't seem to care whether it was a dark and stormy night or or who was in the, you know, who was in the, in the study with, when, when the professor was murdered, or whatever else comes along with the story. He just tells us exactly what he thinks we need to know. And what he tells us are there are some people, 
And what we know about them is that they trusted themselves in themselves that they were righteous and they viewed others with contempt. That's all Luke needs for us to know. And he limits his words to get us to focus on those essentials. So, so let's do that. First, we see the people trusted in themselves. Okay? The word trusted is kind of a weak translation here. The Greek word is actually much stronger. It seems to be, uh, it means to be so convinced of something that you put all of your confidence in it. Okay? They're putting all of their confidence in their righteousness. And we don't know why they trusted themselves. It may be that they relied on their behavior. It may be that they relied on their good deeds. It may be that they relied on their great knowledge of Scripture. We don't know. All we know is that these people believed in themselves and that they were the cause of their righteousness. Now, I want to stop there and ask, right? Since we're all in this story together, right? We started off this way. Do we believe, based on our behavior, that we're righteous? Because maybe we don't drink or smoke or cuss. Does our behavior set our standard for righteousness? Alternatively, do you believe that because your, your behavior, because of your past, because of the things you've done wrong, you're hopelessly unrighteous? Or is it our acts of service that renders us righteous? All the kind things that we do for others. Or is it our exhaustive study of the Bible, our in-depth knowledge of Scripture? Is that what gets us there? We, know, we need to explore these questions. The other thing Luke tells us about these people is that they viewed others with contempt. In other words, their attitude towards and treatment of others and through this, these people showed their true colors. They believed others have no merit or worth. That's exactly what the word translated contempt means. They had utter disdain for people who were not like them, who were not living up to their standards of performance. So again, I have to ask, do we do this? Do we ever find ourselves thinking again, compared to that guy, I'm pretty well off, or, or compared to, 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 to so-and-so, I'm a pretty good parent? God must be proud of me. I think if we're honest, we probably do this a lot more than we realize, and Jesus is going to have something to say to, to us about this, and so let's go ahead and see what that is. Jesus begins his parable, again, with a brief introduction like Luke, like Luke which says, uh, we see in verse 10. 18.10, he says, two men went into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Okay, so like Luke, Jesus gives us just the facts. We got two characters, both are men, one is a Pharisee, the other is a tax collector, and